Bradley, the windbound on the basketball. All eyes are fixed to G. And Pierce, but it comes out high to Green. Bouncing, goes inside, got it at the heart. Crawford driving, left hand. Crawford. Underneath. Green for Pierce, catches. Holding, throws to the left corner. Avery Bradley rises into a three, got it. Still shooting the ball, though. Give him credit for that. And finally knocks one down. And now, welcome to the Celtics Beat with Daniel Baker. Welcome into the Celtics Beat. My name is Daniel Baker, and today on Master Sunday, I'm alongside my co-host for the evening, John Lemons. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing today, John? Great, great sports day today, Daniel. we got the Masters. We have Clay Buckles almost pitching a no-hitter, a second no-hitter. Uh, and then, of course, we've got NBA matchups left and right, including the Knicks uh, looking like they're clinching uh, any minute now. And the Knicks are playing the Pacers right now, who they are battling for this two-seed in the Eastern Conference. Coming into today, they were separated by three games. Both teams had three games left, including this matchup, this pivotal matchup. And right now, it's the Knicks with a 90-76 advantage over the Pacers. It's in Madison Square Garden. There's a minute, 39 seconds left to play, and... It's not shocking that Carmelo Anthony is leading the team with 25 points so far in this game. He is leading the NBA in scoring, and we're going to talk about what players deserve some MVP voting later on in the show. We'll talk about the Celtics, how their week has gone, what it's looking like for the playoffs, because now after last night's win against the Orlando Magic, they are solidly in the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. They have that on lockdown, and in just about a minute, barring a miracle comeback by the Pacers, the Knicks will be locked into the number two seed, and we'll have ourselves a first-round matchup between the Celtics and the Knicks. We could be in for another classic, but right now, we're going to focus in on what the Celtics have been doing recently, and last night, a massive, massive 120-88 to victory for the Celtics. Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce returned after not playing against Miami, and John that really helped their offense for really a unit that has been struggling quite a bit recently. And you can attest that to injuries. There are a lot of different factors going into it. But for the most part, aside from last night against Orlando, a very bad Orlando Magic team, the offense hasn't looked very good towards the end of the season. Yeah, it's, you know, this has been the case ever since 2007-2008. It's been a slow decline. Uh, last year, the Celts were actually two spots lower on offense than they are this year. Um, but that run to you know one game away from the conference finals, you know, that, that had a lot of things break their way. You know, the Derrick Rose obviously was out when they faced the Bulls um, or before the Celtics could face them. Um, and Al Horford missing the first three games of the Hawks series. Chris Bosh missed uh, all those games. I think it was five games he missed uh for the heat so you know this is nothing new for them they've seen this you know they've seen things break their way anyways but um it's certainly a helpful thing to have uh Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett back and it's not something that shows up necessarily in the individual stats you know there there are a lot of things that either they do together or that they create for other other guys um 
uh, obviously defensively is where Garnett makes most of his money, but but even on offense, you know that seven that seven one jumper, um, and yeah, obviously Pierce is you know he's a, he's a scorer, but but just the the team effect that they have when they're on the floor together um, is is huge. You can call it swagger, you can call it whatever you want, but as you mentioned, it's not just the points, the rebounds, the steals, the blocks, the assists that those guys add. It's just the confidence and the mental aspect. And right now, now that they know they're in the seventh seed, no matter what happens mentally, do you think at all, how much do you foresee these guys playing against the Pacers and then against the Raptors? They Celtics will play the Pacers on Tuesday night in Boston and then will travel to Toronto to finish off their season against the Raptors. And from the looks of it, the Pacers will have wrapped up the three seed and won't change whatsoever. So both the Celtics and the Pacers are, are solidly in their playoff seedings. So do, do you think Pierce and Garnett are going to play a lot, a little at all? What do you think is going to happen there? A lot, a little at all. Uh, it's It's one of the last two. Um, I wouldn't be. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised either way. I wouldn't be surprised if if they don't play a single minute, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do get a little bit of work just to you know keep everything loose, not to get rusty, um, to you know make sure that their rhythm is still there, um, especially given the number of games that they missed in the last you know what two three weeks. Um, I would not be surprised if they get fifteen to twenty minutes a night, but either way, it's not going to be much. They're not going to be playing Kobe Bryant. I was going to bring that up with the amount of that they played of late and also coming back from the injuries. I mean, Kevin Garnett didn't play against Miami, not at Paul Pierce, but he came back against the Wizards, played 24 minutes then, played 28 minutes against the Brooklyn Nets, and then last night played 19 against the Magic. You can see that he probably didn't play because it was a back-to-back situation. And if the Celtics really were essentially one game away, one win away from clinching the seventh seed, it's conceivable that Doc Rivers said, you know what, let's not worry about Miami and Miami. Let, let, let's get Orlando because we know that's also a, a relatively injured team and just they're not a very good basketball team. They're so, a bad basketball team who who are not starting any of their main guys either. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a bad basketball team with the backup team playing. So, so it's essentially a guaranteed win. Right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for, for them to play so uh, you know, a few it, minutes and then, then take a rest. So with that, to be honest, I think that it would be good to play, I guess, in the last game before the playoffs. But the playoffs don't start until Saturday for anybody on the 20th. So I don't know if it makes a difference if you play Garnett and Pierce on Tuesday, if you play them on Wednesday. To be honest, I think you'd want to play them against the Pacers, even if the Pacers just have their backups in as well. I mean, I think the Pacers might have their starters in for just a little bit too, just to keep that rhythm. It might just be 10, 12 minutes. Who knows? But just to get the rhythm, I don't think you can take games off. Uh, both of these games off for these players because I, I think, especially Garnett, he's a guy I think that needs to be in a rhythm and it really shows when he's not. Yeah, I mean, he said that the other day. You know, he said after his first game back, look, I was rusty. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not sure that's as big a concern for them. I think given the, the number of new guys on the team, um, it obviously works well to sit a lot of the veterans, but 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 it also it's sort of a double advantage in the sense that it it's good to have these backup guys playing together. Uh, there's very little practice time during the year, obviously, and with all of these guys, you know, the China contingent that's come in, um, 
it's great to have them get floor time uh, and get their uh, you know get their confidence up and just sort of get a feel, get some chemistry together. Um, so I think it works uh, well in both ways. And like I said, you know, whether it's the whether it's Garnett and Pierce not playing at all, or whether they're playing you know a dozen minutes, uh, fifteen minutes, eighteen minutes, um, to like you said, keep from getting rusty, stay in game shape. Um, I, I don't know, and frankly, I don't care all that much uh, if there is um, if there's a choice to be made. I think I'd rather they play um, against the Raptors if I'm a Celtics fan. Uh, if the Pacers, who obviously don't have anything to play for at this point, um, still play some of their guys a little bit, Tyler Hansbrough's elbows are everywhere, and, and the, you know it's also Kevin Garnett. Yeah, well, exactly. In <laughs> uh, putting Kevin Garnett in a situation like that uh, is trouble. Um, so if I were a Celtics fan, I would I would be hoping that they pl- that uh, at least he plays against Toronto if uh, if there's only one game to be played. But like I said, I, I don't know if it's much with any of them. Yeah, uh, we can expect to see them most likely. I think we're both in agreement that one of the games will get a decent amount of minutes, but that's about it. And actually, Kevin Garnett, looking at his minutes so far this season, averaging 29.7 a game, right. the lowest since his rookie season with Minnesota back in 95 to 96 when he played 28.7 minutes. And actually, with the Celtics looking at games played, he was so durable for so long, but ever since the injuries have really piled up, the most he played in one season was his first year in Boston was uh, 71 games. Then third year was 2010-2011. Um, he played 71 as well. Last year, 60 of the 66, so that's a lot if you extrapolate that during sure. a two-game season. But really, it's always a good sign when it, if he's going to be healthy. He seems like he was in a bit of a rhythm yesterday, 7 of 8 from the field, had a nice performance, 14 points. So nice to see him do that. The other guy we've been talking about in terms of minutes and, and, and looking at what you may need to do for him is Paul Pierce. Pierce was back in the lineup the other day, and he had another all-round game with 12 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds. Really been doing such a tremendous job leaving the team in assists after Rondo went down. He played 27 minutes. Again, I don't think it's as big of a deal for him to play as much as Kevin Garnett. Obviously, he has a few less years under his belt. But for Paul Pierce, who didn't play against Cleveland as well in the last five games, also didn't play against Miami, the past two games he's had just about 30 minutes. So I think he'll be good heading the playoffs. He seems to be as fresh as possible. And he's the guy that has the playoff moxie and the clutch gene, as we like to call it in sports. And he's probably the most important. He's been the next killer we were talking a few weeks ago on this show with Seth Rosenthal from the Knicks SB Nation blog, and he said everybody in New York pretty much still really is just very scared to see Paul Pierce because he's been such a Knicks killer over the years. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, like you said, it's always interesting to see what uh, fans of other teams uh, think about the team that you cover. Uh, I think that's that's often the most telling. You know, when there's a trade that happens and uh, there's a fan base that's losing a player, that's who you want to know uh, what to expect from. You know, th- those are the those are the best indications of uh, a player's ability. And, and same thing when you have a rival, it's which which guy do you want? Uh, you know, which guy do uh, the Yankees hate seeing come up if you're a Red Sox fan? Uh, same thing with, with with this, and it's it's always been Pierce, and for good reason. You know, he plays his best in Madison Square Garden. This season, in four games against the Knicks, 
Paul Pierce, averaging about 33 minutes a game. He's scoring 21 points, 21.3 points a game, 7.5 rebounds, and just under 5 assists a contest. He's shooting from the field 45.8%. That's a number that overall for Pierce this season has been down. His field goal percentage, and I think a lot of that, again, has to do with when Rondo went down, he took on much more of an all-around role. He had to be that quintessential point forward to really run the offense, start the offense, and do a lot for his team. I'm not sure if that also has to do with maybe getting maybe a little bit of tired legs or whatever, but his 43.4% from the field, his lowest since about... 2003, 2004, actually, when he shot 40% from the field. Really hasn't shot this poorly uh, in the Kevin Garnett era at all. Last year was the second worst season from the field in the KG era at 44.3%. So I don't know if you're if, if that will concern you much as a Celtics fan, if that's something you think that can maybe get turned around. You know, if you look at uh, the Celts in general against the Knicks, they're one and three this year, um, and they've lost their last three. Uh, but the last two, they, they both came in March, um, were without Kevin Garnett and without Courtney Lee for the um, for their third game. Uh, so they, they lost 100 to 85 on the 28th, and then more recently 108 to 89. Uh, both of those games without KG. Uh, the first two games they played. Um, Came back in January, so it's a different team. It's obviously without Rondo and stuff. But maybe uh, the the truth of the matchup lies somewhere in between um, in the sense that uh, those games were much closer. They, they won on January 7th. It was 102-96, and then they lost on the 24th of January, 89-86. Real close game. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, those are different rosters that we're looking at now um, from both sides. You know, the Knicks... Um, you know, they have Kenyon Martin now. Uh, they also have Tyson they, Chandler. And the last time, the, the, the more recent contest, they were without Tyson Chandler. And to be honest, Kevin Garnett does mean a whole lot to his defense. And, and I believe that the numbers would even suggest that he might be maybe the most important defensive player in the league or very, very close to it. But I'm not sure in terms of X's and O's if there's a player that does more or means more to his team on defense than Tyson Chandler because of how bad the rest of the bigs are on New York defense. Aside from Kenyon Martin, because he just recently got to New York, and those two have been very, very good uh, playing down low for the Knicks. They're big. They like to play defense. With, uh, well, with Amari when he was in there. and with Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, and even the other forwards on the team, aside from Martin. They're, they're pretty bad at defense. They're, they're actually pretty terrible <laughs> defenders. And even on the perimeter, they're not that great. So he has a lot to do, and a lot of times he has to help and get off his man. So Tyson Chandler being in there, that's going to change the game a whole lot with the Knicks as well. The Knicks have just been just been on fire, and they, they, they have won about 13 games in a row before the Bulls got in the way. The street killers of the year. First That's Miami, right. now New York. Probably is not going to translate much in the playoffs. Although, I think if you're Chicago, to be honest, you might be happy in the sixth seed playing Indiana, who doesn't have that guy who can kind of take over a game by himself. 
probably a lot easier to defend against than even if you're going to go up against a Brooklyn with Darren Williams, who for Brooklyn, and the Celtics just saw this also this past week, Darren Williams is probably playing the best basketball of the season right now, and he couldn't have picked a better time to really bust out and be the player that for, I mean, just a couple of years ago, Darren Williams was in the conversation for best point guard in the world. Right. And, yeah, he's, um, what is he, 27 or 28? Uh, he's 28. Um, it's not age. You know, it's not it's not age that's, that's causing the decline. Um, you know, as a fan of basketball, it's, it's, it's a better league when Darren Williams is back to being good Darren Williams, you know. Um, so Celtics fans might hate to hear that, and he was certainly incredible against them uh, the other night. But uh, he should be. You know, he's he's a terrific player, and it didn't make a ton of sense that he wasn't playing well for such a long stretch. You know, and that's a, that's a bit unfair. It's, he was playing well, uh, but, it, but it's sort of relative to the bar that he's set so high. Yeah. Um, and, you know, without question, uh, he's, he's reaching that bar again, you know, and um, the league is a better place for it. So it, they're fun to watch, you know, the, with the big move to Brooklyn and all that. Um, they needed people to start playing to what they're capable to, and that's a much more interesting series now. The whole team really is. Uh, Darren Williams, past 10 games, 22.5 points, 8.9 assists, just a couple of rebounds, and he's in 48% from the field. If you just look at his past five games, which includes games against Chicago, though that was a two-point loss at home, though you can't fault him that much because in that game against Chicago back on April 4th, 30 points, 10 assists, he was 9-16 from the field, 10-13 from the line. He did a lot. He's a big guy. He can get to the free throw line. As the Celtics saw, he went 10-10 of 10, uh, on the free throw line against the Celtics on Wednesday night, scoring 29 points against the Celtics. And then, guess what? On Friday, he played in Indiana, 33 points, 14 assists. This guy is just playing as well as he possibly can. Really, that's the kind of numbers that you expect when you – give him a max contract but him right. he and brooke lopez who probably in the east might be the best offensive center in the eastern conference possibly the most skilled offensive center in the nba at, at least playing right now with all due respect dwight howard really i mean dwight howard's obviously up there but not just relying on sheer athleticism brooke lopez is definitely in that conversation and yes Everybody knows about his terrible rebounding, but when you got a guy like Reggie Evans who's getting about 1,500 rebounds, I'm not sure. He's, right. he's averaging about 30 rebounds a game in April. He, that is the recipe for how Brooklyn, because you got Joe Johnson in there who's always a dangerous. That, that's another fun team to watch in the Eastern Conference for, for teams that are really kind of playing up with the playoffs on the horizon, because for a long time there, it was Miami and everybody else. And though it still is Miami and everybody else, there's at least a couple more teams now who, you know what? It would be interesting, because Miami's weakness is at the point guard position. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's at the point guard position and then rebounding. Um Mm-hmm. And you know that's where Reggie Evans makes makes his living. And like you said, it's it's more interesting to see. You know, I don't totally care what players can and can't do. I care what they need to do in their system. And you made a great point. You know, Brook Lopez has a gaping hole in his rebounding ability, which was I mean, he is a massive guy. He is huge. Uh, but look, he doesn't have to be a great rebounder. That's what they have Reggie Evans for. So focus. You know, burn your calories on the offensive end if you're Brook Lopez. And you make a. 
a great point about players and systems and doing what they need to do for their team, not what they potentially can do. And right. that's going to bring me back to Carmelo Anthony because he's the Knicks' leading scorer. He's the NBA's leading scorer, and he's most likely the player that the Celtics have to stop in the first round against the Knicks. It's going to be that 2-7 matchup, and Carmelo Anthony, who is playing out of his mind, not just the, the, during the whole winning streak, seems about the past month, just at the beginning of the season when he was kind of in an MVP conversation, I believe he might very well get into that second in the MVP voting. I, I think he could garner that many votes behind LeBron James, who I think is probably going to run away with it. But Carmelo Anthony, he doesn't need to do other things. The Knicks are, are built so that they're great when Carmelo Anthony is scoring. And he is scoring a ton of points right now. Yeah, he is, though I'm not sure I agree with you in that they, you know, that's still a problem for them. Their defense is still a problem for them. Um, he's scoring so much, but I, I think it's, you know, I think it's having Tyson Chandler back, and I think it's having uh, everyone, you know, J.R. Smith more than anyone playing intelligently, you know, and I think I think that allows Carmelo to get away with doing a lot of this scoring, you know, without in taking a back seat on defense. Um, He's been incredible, you know, in the, he's sort of doing a, the, you know, the Kobe Bryant recipe uh, this year, which is burn all of your calories on offense and take the, you know, but, but what Carmelo has been doing that, that Kobe maybe hasn't is um, he hasn't been hurting his team on defense uh, to the extent that Kobe Bryant has. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't work as hard on defense and this isn't, you know, this isn't breaking news. Um but but Kobe, you know, and we'll try not to steer too far off course, but, but Kobe's been actively hurting his team on defense. He's been taking risks that don't make any sense. He's been just going, doing whatever he feels like and causing problems on defense. Carmelo, in the games that I've seen, has not been doing that. He's just, you know, he doesn't help as aggressively on on double teams. Um, he doesn't rotate as quickly as he, he ought to. Uh, but he's not he's not sort of freelancing and causing trouble uh, for the rest of the team. Um, and I think that, you know, to your point, he makes his money on on the offensive end, and if they keep if he keeps scoring this, you know, at this rate, um, and the other guys keep scoring, uh, you know, and keep playing intelligent, if J.R. Smith stops chucking the threes and continues to get to the basket like he has been, then they can get away with taking a back seat on defense. And that's definitely been the key to J.R. Smith's success over the last. Oh, d- during the win streak and during the, this great stretch of basketball by the New York Knicks. And it's really nice to see because he can be one of the better players, uh, better scorers in the NBA when he's not just relying on the three ball. But Carmelo Anthony, in the month of April, since he started with that 50-point explosion against Miami with uh, in a game where he didn't even shoot within about 15 feet of the basket, and he still dropped 50 points. That was just yeah. unbelievable. But in the month of April, in these eight games that he's had, he's scoring 36 Point nine points a game, so nearly 37 points a game, and also bringing down about 10 rebounds, and that's really been big. I, I know his overall defense, uh, maybe his health defense hasn't been that great, but his commitment to rebounding the basketball is one of the biggest storylines in their winning streak, and he's been able to keep that up, getting about 10 rebounds a game. That's going to be key, because if he can do that, 
That gives him a lot of easy second-chance opportunities, and he's going to get to the line a lot. In the month of April, he's averaged seven free throws a game, and heck, going back to March, he was putting up eight free throws a game. So if the Celtics have to are forced to foul and put him on the line because we know that the Celtics struggle on the glass, that will make for a very, very long series, or very short series, but a very, very long game for the Celtics. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um I, I I agreed with everything you said until uh, I pulled up some of the stats, and it it turns out this may be a statistical anomaly, but when uh, Carmelo has in in the Knicks losses, Carmelo's averaging seven point two rebounds a game. In their wins, he's averaging six point eight. Hmm. So it's not translating to uh, to wins for them. Well, uh, it may be that. it may be you know. Having one fewer big on the floor with uh, with Stoudemire out, although, but Stoudemire's not pulling down a ton of rebounds. Anyways, I'm not sure how to explain it other than to say um, while his rebounding is up, uh, it, it's not making any difference in terms of their win loss. It's it's the scoring. Oh oh, for, for sure the scoring is definitely the most important part. But I mean, I'm just looking back at his his last 10 games and when he's bringing down about 10 rebounds a game and the Knicks yeah. are 9 and 1 in that it's hard to ignore cuz he yeah he, he's always been a, a I mean he has the ability to be a very good rebounder and although the numbers and the losses they're, they're not too far away let's be real they're it's a 0.4 differential per game but I'm just looking at recently it seems like his commitment to the offensive and defensive glass has really helped the Knicks team. And heck, in April, he's shooting only about 56% from the field, which is pretty insane for anybody. And someone who takes as many shots as he does, that's LeBron really James cool. territory, for sure. Mm-hmm. LeBron had that run of shooting 60% from the field. Right. And he's obviously the leading candidate in the MVP race, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But looking at this Knicks, Celtics matchup, you brought up a great point right before the show, uh, just a transaction that, I mean, the Knicks, they came into the season with a lot of size and experience that really hasn't helped uh, in the way that they thought because, well, they've just gotten injured. Their bigs are old and they've been not effective because they're not on the court. Marcus Canby, for sure. Kurt Thomas was the other one, and he was just actually released for Solomon Jones was just picked up, and he started against the Pacers. Yeah, that's right. Not sure if that's going to happen. Uh, Kenya Martin had a sprained ankle, so he did not start. He didn't play at all. But looking into your crystal ball, looking at this Knicks-Celtics series, who do you think is going to be the X Factor for the Knicks, and who do you think is going to be the X Factor for the Celtics? Um, well, I think the X Factor, boy, with the Celtics, there's a few names that come to mind. Um, I mean, Avery Bradley is a name that jumps out because he's seen, he's struggled lately. Um, on the other hand, it's really hard to get a sense of where the Celtics are at uh, because they've they've more or less been treading water for a couple weeks now and felt pretty confident that they're going to be in that uh, seventh seed. Um, they haven't been playing a lot of their guys. They haven't been playing uh, their guys at the minutes that they usually do. Um, and, you know, they're a little beat up like any other team. Um, so it's tough to get a sense of, of where it's at. So when I say Avery hasn't been playing as well as he usually has, um, it's hard to know what to what that means. Um, but Avery obviously is an enormous 
part of their defense um, is, you know, probably as important or maybe almost as important as Kevin Garnett is to the Celtics defense. I agree. Um, so, so the way that he plays, but, but also the way he plays on offense, because he's going to be able to get shots. Um, and he jumps out to me, obviously Pierce, anytime they're playing a Madison square guard, you know, the way that Pierce scores for an offensively challenged team, but above all of those, uh, I think the biggest X factor is um, the guy with the biggest inconsistency, you know, the guy that we just don't know what to expect, uh, and that's Jeff Green. Mm -hmm. When Jeff Green plays well, when Jeff Green's aggressive and he gets to the line and he takes his corner threes, um, the Celtics and, frankly, uh, Jeff Green are hard to stop. Um, And the more that Jeff Green can do offensively – the the more that Carmelo is going to have to burn calories on the defensive end, uh, and that's going to take its toll on offense. And the way that you know the way that the Knicks actually uh, play, you know, run their offense, um, particularly when the ball's in Carmelo's hands, there's not a lot of movement. That's why they don't turn the ball over very often. Um, that tends to actually work in Jeff Green's favor uh, because Jeff Green is not a good team defensive player. He does not – he's a very smart guy, but the, the sort of team defense, five men on a rope, um, rotating doesn't come naturally to him or certainly doesn't look like it does. Um, he struggles with, with getting to the right place and getting to the right place at the right time. If the ball's in the guy's hands in front of him, he's taller than anybody he's going to be playing against. He's stronger – is as strong as anybody except for maybe LeBron. Um, he can match up. He can play good D mm-hmm. one-on-one. Um, now, Carmelo can – beat Goody one-on-one, but he's going to have to work hard for it. And if Jeff Green can double that by being aggressive on the offensive end and forcing uh, Carmelo to work there, uh, that's the big X factor, I think, is is over the course of however many games this series goes, what sort of impact Jeff Green can have. The and that's last... the question that everybody on, uh, that covers the Celtics, everybody that watches the Celtics and roots for the Celtics, that's what everybody wants to know because nobody knows on a night-to-night basis. And it's certainly been trending in the right direction. Um, he's certainly been more aggressive. But, uh, you know, like we've been saying for five, six years, uh, who knows? For the last 10 games, Jeff Green has put up more than 20 points a game, almost six rebounds, and nearly three assists per game, shooting 50% from the field in about 37 minutes a game. The biggest issue I see with with Jeff Green, um, and it's not him, it's more the Celtics in general, is that I believe that their best chance in the playoffs is having Jeff Green in the starting lineup alongside Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Avery Bradley, and uh, either Brandon Bass or Courtney Lee, whatever. If you're going to go big, you're going to go small. Um, either way, I think Jeff Green needs to be in the starting lineup. They haven't had a lot of time to play like that as a unit. They might be doing it in practice, but I don't think they've had nearly enough time on the court together, which would kind of make me a little bit nervous because, I mean, we've seen, especially recently – when Jeff Green is in the starting lineup and Pierce or KG are out, and really he has to step up his offense just like against Miami, hey, he's 10-17 from the field, 25 points, 8 rebounds. That's not bad. I mean, he only got to line four times. Part of that um, might be just he might miss a free throw or two, uh, attempt, miss out just because he doesn't get the star treatment like a Pierce or, or someone else would on the Celtics. But... He is still, he's definitely, he definitely is one of the big, I guess, X factors. To me, I think he's shown enough consistency for me to kind of take him out of that because I think for a 
a seven-game series, say it goes seven games, I think you're going to get a Jeff Green that you really, really love, probably five of them. And then I think there might be times, uh, uh, two of those games out of seven, where you say, where was Jeff Green tonight? I'm not sure what happened. Did he just go three of eight from the field like he did against Washington uh, last week? It was a Celtics win, but he kind of really didn't show up. And no yeah. one's sure where he is. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a detriment to the team. I think a guy like Brandon Bass is going to be really big offensively and also defensively because he's a guy that can match up against threes. He's a guy that can match up against fours. He's one of the very few people on the roster who can play defense against LeBron James and Chris Bosh in the same game. And because of that, I think Brandon Bass is going to be there because I think you know what you're going to get from Avery Bradley. Any points are just gravy. Sure. It's his defense that's great. And also, I mean, a guy like Courtney Lee, I believe you you mentioned his name. Courtney Lee is definitely a guy that I think if his offensive game can really catch up, because he's been a bulldog, as they say, on defense, right. uh, especially with Bradley. That forms maybe arguably the best defensive backcourt in the league when they're both on their game. That's right. just a ferocious backcourt. It's really caused a lot of problems for teams with guard uh Teams that aren't really guard-heavy, unfortunately for the Celtics, going up against the Knicks, when you have a guy like Raymond Felton, who say what you want about him, I think he fits into this team very, very well because he shoots the ball well. I love well. Ray Felton. I love, well, I love watching Ray Felton. He shoots the ball well. He can get up and down the court. He just knows what to do. He, he He's pretty tricky in the lane between him and then also, obviously, with Jason Kidd. You bring all that experience to the table. And Pablo Prigioni as well as three guys who've gotten significant minutes this season for the Knicks who play a big part in handling the ball, also throwing Jared Smith who can handle it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony, obviously, whenever he has the ball, you're really not going to steal the ball from him. So right. th- that's going to be important, their backcourt defense, but I think it's a guy like Brandon Bass who can, can play, help play defense against Carmelo Anthony because that's going to help Pierce and Jeff Green stay fresher on the offensive end. Yeah, and the thing about Jeff Green, you mentioned whether you know it's coming off the bench or as a starter. Um, it, all of his stats across the board, as as a, he's come off the bench sixty four times, so the the sample size is much bigger. He's been a starter sixteen times, most of those in the last month and a half, um, and he's playing like thirty seven minutes a game when he's starting. He's playing like the twenty six or so um, when he's coming off the bench, but across the board per forty eight minutes. Um, his stats are, uh, are are significantly better as a starter. I mean, he's he's shooting um, more and is shooting a higher percentage, 52% from the field versus 44% um, at, off the bench. Uh, he's shooting 51% from three versus 33% when he's coming off the bench. As a starter, he gets to the line more. He's shooting 76%. He actually makes more – his percentage is higher – from the line uh, off the bench, 83%. Um, but on and on, 7.8 rebounds versus 6.3. 3.9 assists versus 2.3. And the biggest uh, number, he's scoring 10 more, basically twice as many points as a starter as compared to when he comes off the bench. Right, and per 48 minutes, that's 27 points versus 20 points. Uh, so if you look at it over the course of 48 minutes, across the board, except for he's got a dip in his free throw percentage, but it's 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 fairly negligible four or five points. Um, he's better. He's better. He's better as a starter. Um, and 
when you have a guy that talented, that's what you want. You want a guy that talented to be better as a starter because he plays more as a starter. He plays more minutes when he starts, um, and he can dictate the game with that length and athleticism. That's what you want if you're a Celtics fan. Is Jeff Green coming? Uh, is starting? Uh, he's just he's better when he does. A lot of that probably goes down to the mental aspect that when he knows he's going to be a starter, he knows he's going to get plenty of minutes. And I think that just helps him. I think it's just all a confidence booster. And for a guy who maybe isn't naturally ag- aggressive, having that boost of confidence to say, you know what, I'm a starter no matter what, that I think that really helps his game, to be honest. I, I really think it- it's just that mental part because I think physically he-, he-, he is definitely all the way there now, and he's at a point where he can physically dominate. So I believe that the starting helps him because of a mental aspect, which would be important. The other mental aspect is just the Celtics as a team. This is a team with key players going deep into the playoffs, not necessarily the entire roster. This is not the same team as last year. This is not the same team as 2010 nor 2008. It's a different makeup. It's not a team that's necessarily – It's kind. Of, it kind of was sort of built on defense, but they're not playing defense as well as they have in the past. It's a team that shoots – well, they've – in the KJ era with Ray Allen, they've been a jump-shooting team, but it's also just it's not as big of a team that played defense and rebounded. That's what you knew you were going to get from the Celtics with, with Kendrick Perkins and way back 2008 with P.J. Brown. Looking at that, how much has this mental aspect uh, of being there done that? I mean, because you look at the Knicks, they have guys in Jason Kidd and Tyson Chandler. They won rings with Dallas. They right. they have plenty of experience. Carmelo's been in the playoffs a lot. He knows what to expect. He's gone deep before. This is probably the most talented team, arguably, that uh, he's been on since that team in Denver that he got to the conference finals with before they lost to the Lakers that year. Right. So really just breaking it, looking at it, who would have the advantage in this series? Because the Knicks do have home court advantage. Who, who are you going to take? Seven games. Well, in terms of the in terms of the impact of the the stage in the playoffs, I think it's probably about a wash. I think these are both you know these are both veteran teams, and I don't think either of them are going to be uh, you know this is going to be too big of a moment uh, for either of them, uh, particularly with the the strength of those veterans. Um, you know these these veterans in particular on these teams um, play a big role and and are uh, you know are, are, are quote unquote leaders. You know I mean Kevin Garnett, Jason Terry. Uh, Paul Pierce, you know, these guys have obviously been through the playoffs plenty of times and, and play a big vocal role on the team that, uh, you know, in the Celtics locker room, nobody's, this isn't going to be too big a moment for anybody. And I think the same case with the Knicks. Um, in terms of on the floor, how's it going to play out? Uh, it's the Knicks. I mean, I, I just, it's the Knicks. Uh, as well as the Celts have played them, I think it's probably closer than it looks if you look at the um, way that the Knicks have been playing lately and the way the Celtics have been playing. Um, these are teams on on different courses, uh, but um, it, so so those are teams on different courses, and I think it will be closer than that. But I still think the the Knicks are too young uh, and too good to to um, to overcome. <laughs> Well, at the start of the season with the oldest roster in the league, I don't think the Knicks ever thought they would be considered too young of a team heading into the playoffs. Right, exactly. But I mean, the there. oldest team as you can get, yeah. <laughs> but I I am with you. I think the Knicks have the upper hand, it, and I can't stress enough what I was saying before. This isn't the same Celtics team as in years past. There's a lot of new guys on this team with Jason Terry, Courtney Lee. Yes, Terry won the ring. 
with Dallas. Yes, Courtney Lee went to the finals his rookie year with the Magic. There's guys who have playoff experience, but it's just a different team. And say what you want about the regular season, over in 82 games, you know you find out a lot about who you are as a team. And not just that, but the Knicks right now, most most likely the hottest team in the NBA. Nobody's playing better. It's not just a three-point shooting team. Carmelo Anthony can score from wherever he wants. It always helps when you go into a series and having the best player on the floor. And Carmelo Anthony, especially this year, leading the league with 28.7 points per game, has shown that he can be that guy when he puts his mind to it and he can rebound too. And that's just such a big help to this Knicks team. I think their defense will be good enough. And it's mostly, I haven't seen enough from the Celtics team. I, we just don't know what to expect. And I think I would take knowing what to expect over not knowing what to expect. Sure. Any day of the week, I'm going to say the Knicks in five. I'm going to give the Celtics a game at home with Pierce. Maybe having a big game. I think he can win a game. I don't think he, anyone on the Celtics team without Rondo, no one there is going to win a series. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, We'll take a look around the NBA. What else has happened? Do the Lakers have any kind of a shot without Kobe Bryant? Is Derrick Rose going to play in the playoffs? Who should be the MVP? We'll make our season award pick after this. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for more of the Celtics. Hey, Mike Fay from Mike T here, just reminding you about the outstanding shows here on CLNS Radio. Jay King of CelticsTown.com and Ty Ray of CLNS Radio join forces to bring you Celtics Town, King of the Court, every Monday night. If Jeff Green grabs a rebound, run up court with it, just get the ball and work it up the floor and make Tommy Heinsohn proud because I know he loves that style of play. Careless Whispers with Matt Rury and Calvin Chamberlain hits the airwaves Tuesday night. You can't compare that to an NBA rivalry where you're going to hate LeBron James for the next seven years and you've already hated him for five years. Tune in for the block party with CLNS Locker reporter Jared Wise and NHL content manager Lee Herman on Thursday nights. I actually really have high hopes for Chris Bork. I'm not going to compare him to Ray. And don't forget to tune into the Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. You can find that at CLNS Radio, Celtics Blog, and iTunes. It's invaluable how much Jeff Green means to this team right now if he can continue to play this way. That's not all. There are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you are listening to ELNS Radio. 
What's new at clnsradio.com? We're striving to make this your first and last destination for all things sports. It all starts with our Celtics postgame show. CLNS is the proud home of the only online postgame broadcast that covers every single Celtics game. Along with Celtics blog, CLNS brings you the Garden Report. It's the only YouTube postgame show recorded on the parquet floor. CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss and Celtics Blog's Jimmy Toscano report on the home games in high definition. And if you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page, you can find raw post-game videos from the Celtics locker room. Stay up to date with us and text CLNS fans to 22828 for free updates from CLNS Radio. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. We're getting bigger, we're getting better, and you can find it all at clnsradio.com. clnsradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Now, welcome to the Celtics Beat. We're back in on the Celtics Beat on Master Sunday. My name is Daniel Baker, and I'm alongside John Lemons on Master Sunday. It's been a fantastic show so far, talking C's, Knicks. That's going to be the first-round series of the playoffs. If you didn't know, the Celtics are in the seventh seed, all locked up, and the Knicks, with a 90-80 to victory over the Pacers, have really locked down that three seed, or two seed, excuse me, knocking the Pacers into the three seed. So it's going to be Celtics, Knicks, and the first round. But you know what? There's a ton of other teams in the NBA. There's a ton of other things going on. We're going to go around the league with the Celtics, always a team. When I say Celtics, you probably say Lakers. And when I say Lakers, you probably think Kobe Bryant. Well, Kobe Bryant's not going to be playing basketball for quite some time. He just tore his Achilles attendant. He's out. The Lakers did end up holding on in their most recent game, when Kobe got injured at the end of the game, their game up on Utah for the eighth seed, even if they make the playoffs, doesn't seem like that could be any sort of positive without Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I mean, they're not winning the championship this year, no. <laughs> I mean, heck, e- even with Kobe Bryant healthy, I, I think right. against Oklahoma City or San Antonio, they get swept anyway. Yeah, yeah. I said it, swept. I don't think they win a single game against those two teams. Well, that's what's happened the last few years. Uh <laughs> And, I mean, Memphis would kill them. Uh, frankly, the Clippers have, I think, swept their series, uh, their season series against them. Uh, Denver would have run them out of the gym. Uh, the, the thing that I that I am interested in seeing with the Lakers is um, Dwight Howard has had a team with, um, maybe this is a little bit worse, but, but more or less with this amount of talent around him uh, in Orlando before. Um, so I'm curious to see him step up and see how uh, injured. Well, that's not true. This is probably a more talented team than he's had for most of those Orlando Orlando teams. Um, and see him take a you know see what role he does take and see how he and Powell play together without Kobe. Uh, because as great as Kobe's been this year offensively and how many minutes he's been playing and everything, um, you know the ball's in his hand a lot, and they obviously never found a, a sort of uh, a rhythm, you know, a way to play together. Uh, uh, real fluidly. So let's see. Let's see what Dwight Howard does on his own. On he his own, being su- <laughs> with with Powell. That's a big exception. You know, with, with Powell, Powell, with Steve Nash, I would not be surprised. Uh, ends up being the best player on the team. <laughs> Dwight Howard has led the league in rebounding this season, twelve point three a game. You know what he can do around the basket. 
I'm not sure if it's possible with his kind of back injury to play your way into shape, but it seems like that he's done pretty close to that. Yeah, or at least learned how to manage it. And by the way, that's not a shot at Dwight. What I said that Powell might be the best, uh, end up being the best player on the team. It's a, it's acknowledging Dwight's uh, limited uh, sort of ability um, with his back injury, and and just frankly out of respect for for Powell. And that's fair. That, that's fair. Not a shot against Dwight Howard. Be- this could be something for, for Pal. Not sure if he can get traded with his 19 mil or so, Sally, but it could be something where he shows the Lakers or another team that, hey, if a team is very close, maybe they say, all right, we're going to give you a lot of pieces for Pal because we think he can be the piece that pushes over the edge, which I think he can be for a lot of teams. Hey, Chicago, how you doing over there? Yep. Um, that's the team. They're also have an injury question mark. First of all, with Joakim Noah, is he going to be healthy for their playoff run? Because without him, obviously, they have zero shot. But with him, and pretty much with everybody without it, minus Derrick Rose, that's still a very formidable and, dare I say, great defensive team still. Two and- words, Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Love Jimmy Butler, and I bet Luol Deng does not because Jimmy Butler has been playing Luol Deng into uh, – uh, into a new team next year. You think so? I mean, Luol Deng has done so much. He's played about, it, it seems like he's played every single minute whenever he's on the floor. For- love, love Luol Deng. Uh, but he is making about 16 times what Jimmy Butler is, <laughs> is about 10 years older and uh, is being rendered obsolescent by Jimmy Butler with every game. Well, a little butler making uh, just just saves on Big Show, even though Dang's but Duke got the better of actual butler in college basketball. That would be quite right. very interesting. I'm sure there are a lot of teams. Heck, I'm sure the Celtics, if they can somehow afford it, wouldn't mind having a guy like Dang on their no. next year. There are a lot of teams that would really like to have Luol Deng services, but the main player I want to talk about is Derrick Rhodes. And do you think he's coming back for the playoffs? If he is, and then another question, hypothetically say he does come back, where does that put Chicago in the East? Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, I think, you know, honestly, to take the sort of take the fun out of it, I don't think there's any chance Derrick Rose is coming back. Uh, if he was going to come back for the playoffs, he would have come back already. Um, because Chicago knew that they were making the playoffs. Um, so there's no – if he wants to come back, there's no – he's been cleared. You know, so it's it's not like – if he was going to come back for a playoff run, he would have come back during the season in the games that don't really matter and worked himself into game shape, worked himself into the offense and learning how to play. I mean, Derrick Rose isn't a guy that you just plug into a system and plug into a team. Derrick Rose is dominates the ball as much as anybody in the league. I mean, he is their offense when he plays for them. It is going to be an enormous transition to try to start playing with Derrick Rose. Who doesn't – I. In, this isn't a knock on Derrick Rose. I'm not sure he knows how to play without doing that, you know, without carrying the load. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's two questions. The, the first, the answer is I don't think there's any chance. Otherwise, we would have seen him already. Um, the second question as to whether they would be better, how this would work, uh, I, I think I think they're better off without him, as funny as that sounds. You can't just throw someone like Derrick Rose into the mix. I sort of – I, I agree and I disagree with you a bit. One, I, I also don't think that Derrick Rose is going to come back. I think he would have already. As much as you can get into shape, not playing actual games, you do have to get those game legs under you, so to speak. But I think that 
if you take Chicago's team, heck, you take any team, and you put a guy like Derrick Rose in there, say, assume he's 100% ready to go, I can't see them being worse off with him on the court, especially if he has been this healthy and he's practicing with them. I think that does play into it a bit, the fact he's practicing. And to be honest, what are you worried about if Chicago and Derrick Rose has the ball? Are you worried your offense is going to suffer? Your offense is scoring 93 points a game? No, you're not worried about that. That's the lowest... That's how the lowest yeah. points per game with Charlotte. So you're not worried about him taking away an offense. And if he is 100% healthy, it's like he doesn't know the defensive schemes. So I I think he would help them. But I'm with you. I don't think it matters at the end of the day because I don't think he's going to play in the playoffs. And for someone who loves basketball and for someone who really hopes for uh, his health going forward, yeah. that that's the best for him. I think in the long run is for him not to play. Um, so that's, that's the Chicago point, series. Fair point. Think. Their offense isn't getting worse. That's a fair point. <laughs> um, and just speaking of the East, the Chicago Bulls, they stopped the last two teams with the longest win streaks in the NBA, the New York Knicks and Miami Heat. Is anybody coming out of the East in your mind aside from Miami? Oh, boy. I just I just don't see it, you know. Don't be uh, I don't think it's going to be close. I don't know if there's a team that can push them to seven games in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I just – I'm not sure if LeBron is human or not, but the man just doesn't seem to get tired. I, I mean, he's – you know, he's not old. He's certainly not old, huh? but he's 28, and he's been in the league for 10 years. He's and he's been to the playoffs for eight years. He's played a season and a half. In addition to all of his his ten regular seasons, and the, never mind all of the Olympic work that he's done and the you know the international teams. I, I thought I saw a stat that that he had maybe about a week or or two weeks at all of off season because of the Olympics. Right, and he and he plays. He's never never in his career played fewer than forty one minutes a game. Mm hmm. And that, and that's I mean the rest of the the seasons are like forty three games. I mean he, he when he's in there he plays he plays a lot like he doesn't seem to get tired he's never had a major injury I don't understand so Dwayne Wade poor guy who I I Dwayne Wade is one of my favorite players of all time to watch play uh, he's a little bit like the two thousand Lakers and the like uh, two thousand six. 2005 uh, USC teams. I didn't root for them, I l but I loved watching them. Play. <laughs> and Dwayne Wade was one of the most fun. LeBron has a better skill set all around. But if I, at, at their height, if I could choose one of them to be and to play like, Dwayne Wade looked like a much more fun way to play. I mean, he was so lightning quick. It just, I mean, that athleticism is just incredible. And he's strong. I mean, he, flash. Like, he was he a is, flash. Is Shaq he said. is real strong. You know, like he's not, he's not, I mean, he's got 30 pounds on Derrick Rose. Yeah. I mean, that's how, and Derrick Rose is not a thin dude. I mean, he's got 30 pounds on him. Yeah. So there's a long way of saying, um, Dwayne Wade is not that guy anymore, and it doesn't matter. That's how good LeBron is. LeBron has a 31.7 player efficiency rating, and he is right behind Michael Jordan all time in PER. He is that good. He is on that level. He's on another planet. I think he's playing better than he was even last year. I think he's going to waltz home with his fourth 
NBA regular season MVP. He has and to. I think yeah, I mean, he has to. The Western Con- to, to the NBA Finals where they'll face the team from the Western Conference, who I think is the San Antonio Spurs or the Oklahoma City Thunder. They seem to be just that tier, just a little bit above the rest. And I would be remiss if I did not mention Kevin Durant, who's two games away, two solid games away, and I don't even know if he's going to play the last game. It depends about the seeding. And, and if they win or a full half, game and a half up there right now, one half game above the Spurs because they have the tiebreaker after they just beat them most recently. But you have Kevin Durant, who's about to be the sixth player all time to put up a 50-40-90 season. If you're not familiar with that, that means he's shooting 50% from the field, at least 40% from three-point range, and at least 90% from the free throw line. Just a six-member all-time. Steve Nash is part of that group. Larry Bird's part of that group. Reggie Miller is part of that group. Some of the all-time shooters. He's not going to win another scoring title, but as he said about Melo winning it, you can have it. He's got bigger goals on his mind. I think he's maybe the best offensive player, quite possibly the best offensive player in the NBA today. But I think if you're talking about MVP, it's LeBron James and everybody else. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, it has to be. And it's boring, I know, but... uh... It is, you know, it just is, and and that's a testament to how good LeBron is that Durant isn't even in this conversation, having the season that he's having. Durant not only is putting up this fifty four to ninety and is uh, is really close to um, winning a scoring title, if not for Carmelo going off for the last two weeks of the year, uh, that he's not. I mean, he's not even really in the conversation. But but not only in the scoring. He's gotten better everywhere. I mean, he's better at defense. He's better at, in his, you know, his, his assists are up. His rebounding is up. His individual defense, team defense. He's gotten a lot better all around, and he was already a phenomenal player last year. And he's not even in a, really in the discussion. They both have increased He's in the discussion play. for second place, and that's it. <laughs> they both have increased their play over last season when we got just a great, great final uh, – a very fun finals matchup. I think it will be better this year because I think Durant and OKC have maybe learned. Overall, just Kevin Durant has just done so much. So I think we're both in agreement that LeBron James is the MVP of this season. Now, if we're going the other awards, who do you think is in the coach of the year? Real quick, we're just winding down on the show. Oh, boy, that's tough. I think George Carl might deserve it um, with that team. I could easily see that team being, you know, 13 games under 500. Uh, Thibodeau deserves it, um, and so does Spolstra, but I think it's got to be George Carl. Never a bad choice. I think if they were able to get the two seed right behind Miami, it would have been very easy for me to pick Frank Vogel because I think he's doing a tremendous job without James Granger. He's, He's right up there for me. I, it's so hard not to pick him. I don't think Carl's a bad choice at all, but I also think it's I think it's between to me Vogel and Lionel Hollins on Memphis. I think they're Hollins the is underrated, yes. Because they traded their leading score, Memphis did, and they are still right there. So we have to get out of here a little bit early because we got a show coming up. But right now looking towards the playoffs. We'll be able to break that down throughout the course of the season. We gave you our thoughts for MVP, Coach of the Year. We'll have more awards later on in future Celtics Speed. I'm about to hit Europe for a couple weeks. John, thank you so much. It was a pleasure hosting with you. And you Happy Patriots Day to everybody tomorrow in the Boston, Massachusetts area. It's that 11th. Best day of the year. It's very, very exciting. 
We are getting out of here on the Celtics Beat. You can follow us at Celtics underscore Beat. John, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Jonathan Lemons. And mine is at Daniel underscore Baker 9. Have a great week. Enjoy the rest of Master Sunday. We'll catch you in about seven days, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.